You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. So it's been nine games in 16 days. We've seen some firsts, some lasts, and some thousands. How are you tonight, Vardy? I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm ready to review the last two-plus weeks of mediocre hockey. Very mediocre hockey. Extremely. But luckily, there's been some silver linings and some good memories and we got to start right at the top. Our baby boy. One of the few kings I could say that I remember the entirety of his career. I should say a few significant kings. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Andre Kopitar, 1,000 points off a 200-foot empty netter <laughs> by Sean Walker. <laughs> face-off win. Very fitting for a Selkie Trophy winner. Just a fairy tale thousandth point, I think. Just like I thought it was going to happen. <laughs> Your feelings, Vardy, because I think for the first quarter of this episode, it's going to be a gush fest for Kopi, and he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, – I think, you know, you and I talk about this quite a bit, game in, game out. Um, certainly on these episodes, we've done – this is the 70th episode, is it not? Or am I, am I off one? You are think, correct. It is episode yeah. 70. Which is, which is also a bit of a hallmark. Um, so certainly across the course of 70 episodes, we have, um, expressed our love and gratitude of Kopi and everything he brings, uh, to the game and to the team specifically, and likely will continue to bring for the entirety of his career, I imagine. Um, and it's, it's, it's so nice to see, uh, him hit these individual accolades that, quietly you know creep him farther and farther up into the upper echelon of, of NHL history um because you know he's a guy now who has a thousand points he's played over a thousand some odd plus games he's won two Stanley Cups he's won two Selkie trophies and yet I feel like if you were to ask people who are genuine NHL hockey fans to list the best centers in the game right now, he would slip under that radar somehow. I agree. And I think he pretty much has for 14 years outside of maybe a three-year window when he was considered a top five or 10 center in the NHL. And I think when his career is over, he will still continue to be criminally underrated, even though he will probably go into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But I think because he didn't play in, uh, I don't like saying this because – LA has become a much stronger hockey market um, in the last, I don't know, clearly since Wayne Gretzky came. But I think my point is they said that a lot about Marcel Dion. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. he played in LA. No one really watched him. Um, You know, he was, he retired as the second highest point scorer in NHL history. Mm -hmm. And really he was still very underrated. Kobe's not going to be that bad, (laughs) Uh, but I think, But I think he will still be overshadowed, unfortunately, by Jonathan Taves and Patrice Bergeron and their accolades and accomplishments because they're on national television every goddamn week and they've been in right. every outdoor game, seemingly. And, right. and and Kopitar has it. And he will probably end up being better in terms of numbers than both those guys mm-hmm. when everyone's career is over. So... Yes, I think he will continue to be criminally underrated, but I guess 
the good thing is that with social media and the way hockey is covered these days, there was a lot of noise being made about his thousandth point. And I really, I'm happy that that happened. Mm-hmm. And like you said, man, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this guy. I mean, he's, he's the greatest LA King of all time. And I, I know we threw that around a couple episodes ago and we wondered, it was more of a question we posed and it's very hard to make that statement when we have so many great players, Luke Robitaille, Marcel Dion, Wayne Gretzky, the, the three that would challenge him the strongest. I think with individual accolades, with the championships and the consistency over that period of time, over a long period of time, I got to go with Kopi on that one. Yeah, you don't have to convince me, man. You honestly don't. I think I was on the I was very much on that side of the argument when we talked about this before. And I think in a lot of ways he's gotten better with age. You know, like he's he's as consistent now as he was two, three seasons ago when he was putting up 92 points. When he, you know, game in, game out, he's going he's he's showing up on the score sheet. He's still a, a threat. He's still making plays he's still making everyone around him better i think i think it's kind of the gift and the curse of being a a solid two-way player is that you do slip under the radar and you know you look back at the end of the careers of players like that and you're like oh how about that he's you know it's quite the accomplishment i think uh and certainly this was posted all over regarding the the list of two-time selkie winners and thousand point scores and it's 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 Rod Brindamore, it's Sergei Fedorov, and it's Andrzej Kopitar. And, and when Kopi's career is over, he will have ended up, I feel confidently saying, outscoring both Brindamore and Fedorov. And he's younger than Patrice Bergeron. Bergeron is not at 1,000 points yet. He'll probably get there within a season or two. And I think when both of their careers are done, if the trajectory continues, Kopi will be still the highest scoring, two-time Selkie winning player of all time but I, and I was thinking about this and I was just kind of like I don't know if I, I I know when I sit and I think about it that Rod Brindamore was a great player that Rod Brindamore was a terrific two-way center he was a captain of a Stanley Cup winning team all those things when I sit there and I think about it yes they come to mind but when I sit and I think to myself like name the best centers in the history of the game Rod Brindamore doesn't come to my mind either so I'm guilty of that and even, even Sergei Fedorov, who was an absolutely dominant player while he was playing, tops of the league, winning multiple individual accolades. I don't know if, if he comes to people's minds throughout history as, as one of the top centers in NHL history. Well, the reason for that, I think, is, is because it's, it's a recent thing where two-way play is being truly appreciated and being viewed as this is what makes a great centerman. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, even in, in the eras of those two players in their prime, the best centermen were considered the guys who scored the most. Right. Uh, Brenda Moore, 80s, 90s, Fedorov in the 90s. Like the, the centermen of, the, of those era, you didn't really care. And they weren't really, you know, put on a pedestal for the defensive play. If you look at old, older Selkie Trophy winning players, very rarely do you see a guy that's also 
a dominant scorer. Right. Fedorov obviously was right. one of those guys, but outside of Fedorov in the nineties and the eighties, you can't really, I don't, none come to mind. Like how many times did Yuri Lettinen win this award? Yeah. And, and also Datsuk, of course, Datsuk. Sure. Sure. He's, I think he, if I had to pinpoint where it really changed, it was with Pavel Datsuk. Mm. I think that's where it really shifted to like, okay, this guy's doing both. And, a complete center is someone who could do both. Guy Carbono, how many did he win? Right. Not a prolific scorer. Yuri Litton was a wasn't a prolific scorer either. Um, and those are two guys that I think won multiple Selkie trophies. Um, Bob Gainey, I think won a couple. If you want to yep. really go back, yep. So I think there's a there was a shift there with Datsuks, where after him, the award kind of went to guys who could do both. And I think. Mm-hmm. I think this has been said by many people over the years, but the Selkie trophy really goes to the best center in the NHL. You could argue that the most complete center in the NHL, right? Cause what's the best center? Obviously if you're talking about scoring, we know who the best center in the NHL is. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about complete play, I think whoever wins the Selkie year in and year out is probably the quote unquote best center in the league. And and I think that's a fair point. That's a that's a very fair point to make. Um, it is interesting because there's, you know, there's. I mean, wingers win the Selkie too, though. I mean, Yuri Lettinen, if I'm remembering correctly, was traditionally a winger. But uh, you're right. In the more more recent post Datsuk era, it's been it's been centers primarily. And that's where things like, you know, face-off stats and things are, are incorporated into it. Um, and so I think I think it's interesting that it's become such a positional award, almost like the Norris or the Vesna, where it's become a very center-oriented award. Uh, one would argue that, you know, someone like Mark Stone, who is not a center, who primarily plays wing, would be a very worthwhile Selkie candidate and should should win the award. Um, so, but I I do see the argument that you're making that it is it's it seems to be a very center focused award. Um, so yes. yeah. Um, the only wingers to ever win. Bob was that Gain. wrong about Lettinen? By the way, no, you're right. He's a right winger. Yeah, three time winner, right winger, um, Dirk Graham right winger Craig Ramsey left winger and Bob Gainey left winger everyone else has been a center yeah um Steve Eiserman's won this award one time so wow <laughs> so there's these rare yeah there's these rare kind of Ron Francis Doug Gilmore um but they're surrounded by Steve Casper you know Doug yeah. Jarvis Craig Ramsey like I said Dave Poulin Dirk Graham like these guys aren't big time goal scorers Mike Pekka John mm-hmm. Madden, Chris mm-hmm. Draper. Uh, so the shift. So Brindamore actually won it 06 and 07. And then it went went to Datsuk. And then these names come up where these guys are like 50, 60 point scorers. No right. problem. So it, it's, an, it's an interesting award. I'm happy that it's kind of gone the way it's gone. You know, Mark Stone, yes, as a winger, can he win it? It wouldn't really change my mind about how how it's being awarded that much. yes. I did say best center, but at the same time, Mark Stone's the type of player that can, that probably plays the center role on mm-hmm. defense. You yeah, know, minus you know, the faceoffs, basically. It's a fluid, 
the defensive zone is fluid now. It's not like before where, you know, winger has to stay on their point men in the center. That's like yeah. Kiwi hockey now, right? Like yeah, yeah. constant motion. Um, it's it's ever changing. So right. Well, anyway, I think it's you know coming back to the original point of what we were discussing. I think it's I think we because of how he plays the game and because of what the position uh, requires of him and, and, and how he's stepped up to play that game, he slips under the radar. And even to us, sometimes I think, especially in the middle of seasons like this, that are very much transitional seasons where the team as a whole is not finding success. You take for granted, just, just how good a player he is and just how high in the, in the annals of NHL history, he's going to end up being. And so I, I, I enjoy achievements like this, not just for him, but for us to kind of take a step back sometimes and just look at it and go, you know, we're, we're, we're witnessing a legend playing for the team right now. And, you know, and instead of, I think, appreciating the little things that he does out there, we often get embroiled in, you know, bad losses to Anaheim and Phoenix and things like that, which, which really shouldn't sour the fact that like we're watching a guy who's, who we're going to miss terribly four or five years from now when he's not playing anymore. You mentioned taking him for granted. How many times have we been guilty of looking at him and be like, you know, if he was a little bit more like Evgeny Malkin, he he was a little bit more like this guy, if he did this and it's all bullshit. Now it's so obvious that it's just it's crazy stuff to even talk about. I mean, right? He has ultimately in the big picture has never let this franchise down on any level. If you look at his playoff numbers, they're off the charts. Yep. The two Stanley Cup runs, uh, he could have very easily won the con Smythe in both. He led the playoffs in scoring in both. I think the only thing. I'm trying to think of if there's anything like a blemish on this guy's record. And it's maybe like he kind of disappeared in the 2013 playoffs a little bit against Chicago, I think. Mm. And uh, uh, like outside of that, I think he's been, he's been remarkable. He's the reason when you look at the shift of this team, as, as great as it was to get Drew Doughty, as great as it was um, to, Jonathan to have Quick Jonathan and- Quick emerge. Yes. And uh, Dustin Brown kind of become the captain. I think everything changed really everything the turning point was was getting the big number one center and right. they are few and far in between and the kings haven't had many you know it, it's it's like dion gretzky allison was never like a hiccup mm-hmm. it seems and then after that just waiting waiting for him and he delivered worth yep. the wait and yep. uh, congratulations you're not listening kopi but <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe, are you? Or maybe your brother is? I don't know. <laughs> I, hope so, I hope someone is. Gaspar, if you're listening, this is uh, this is for your brother. Jump on the show anytime you want. That's bro. right, bro. We'll zoom you in. It's okay. But yes, it's 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 remarkable. It's a pleasure to have watched him play, and he has he still has years left, which yeah. is great. Yeah, and that and that's you know, and that's the that's the hope right now is that he's able to maintain his health. I think the, the production will at some point drip down, but you know, our, our vision, our future vision for him is that he gracefully slides down the depth chart 
becomes the 2C and eventually the 3C, but only when he's actually supplanted from those positions, potentially by a, a young man who we're, you know, very poetically getting to witness the beginning of his career. And uh, of course, we're talking about Quentin Byfield, who has now played, what is it, four games, five games so far? Something like that. I have to, I have to say for sure. But uh, what are your thoughts so far? I mean, we, we kind of knew that this was probably going to happen. We had talked about it. We had heard rumors that it was going to happen maybe uh, April 26th, and it got delayed uh, by one game after that because of his, his shoulder injury. Um, so, you know, here we are, this is, this is the beginning of his career. And I think both of us are, I think most people are, are pretty happy with, um, with what we've been seeing. And I think what we've been seeing has been supporting the notion that he is likely not going to be in the AHL any longer. Well, he might be sent down, depending yeah, on the true, years. true, true. Yes, but I mean, you mean next starting season? Starting next yes. season, yes. I, agree. I totally yeah. agree. Um, yeah. I think it's very fitting that we're talking about Kopitar and then Byfield, right? Because there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, if you really dig, um, the main thing I, I was looking because, first of all, I've been very impressed with Quentin Byfield. Um, but it, it's it's a, a different kind of impress because I can't help but think of when I think of Byfield and his first game and his first point, I can't help but think of Kopitar's first game and first point, especially since Kopitar, the game he got his thousandth point, Byfield gets his first point. It's all mm -hmm. very, very like, intertwined. Yeah, right. it, it's like it's almost like it's destined to be that way. Um, and I and one thing that I had to that I had to not remind myself, but it was interesting to me that Kopitar's NHL debut was him at 19. Mm -hmm. His first game, he was 19 and Byfield's first game, he was at 18. Mm -hmm. And it may not seem like much when you say it like that, but I think it's a huge, huge difference. Um, and I, especially considering Kopitar was playing pro almost in Sweden and then he came over and then he played. I'm going to, I'm just going to throw out these kind of devil's advocate things first, and then I'll, we'll, I'll really gush about Quinn. Sure. Um, I think we've been kind of spoiled, not just by obviously with what happened in Kobe's first game. We all know it's it's almost like lore now. Mm -hmm. But I think rookies in general in the NHL, like high end rookies lately, have really been making big impacts like right away. Right. Most recently, Cole Caulfield, I think, he has three goals in five games. Right? Mm -hmm. He's scoring. This kid has the rock, and like the build up from his debut was huge in Montreal. He comes in. Before you know it, he like he has three goals, mm -hmm. and you could point to many things like that. Um, you could even point to Gabe Velarde. I mean, coming point, in. Thank you. You're right, Gabe Velarde, uh, first game goal, and and not just that, he he kind of built on that and had a very good showing. I don't know. You could talk about other rookies. Like obviously, I don't want to get into the high end, high end guys like Matthews and McDavid because come on, right? That's kind of those, those are, are like generational borderline generational talents. guys. Uh, so in many ways, I feel like we have been spoiled in that we were expecting something, some kind of explosion from him. And it's just a reminder that he's 18. He's, it took him time in the AHL, right? He started and it took him a little bit of time to really get that momentum. And in the start, he started scoring point a game pretty much in the AHL. Um, that being said, the things I've seen from Quentin Byfield, the little things. And when I watch hockey, 
I love when when I'm watching a young player when I notice the little things, and, and it gets me excited. I notice these things with Velarde right off the bat, like the little things he does. There are some things that Byfield is trying out there, and I tweeted this that guys need like 200 games to have the confidence to try. He's he's trying it now, and I absolutely love it, and and it excites me very much. His first game that, you know, I it, it's a little thing, but that ring around that went to him behind the net and he kind of picked it out of the air and centered it backhand. It's, it looks like nothing mm-hmm. it is so hard to do that. I don't even know how to explain to anyone who hasn't played hockey, how difficult it is to, to do what he did. It's like you, you try it a hundred times. You might do it five times. Like mm-hmm. seriously, the, the, the speed of no one defending you. We are, right. <laughs> just to accomplish that. And again, Nothing really came of it. It might even be like unnoticed in the highlight, whatever. But right away, like my ears kind of perked up. I was like, wow, like that's that's hard to do. Um, another play I really liked. Uh, he tried this pass last game to Trevor Moore. It, it was such a weird play because it came from the point his back was turned to the play and he got it. He's a lefty. He got it almost like on his backhand and he swung around and immediately knew where Trevor Moore was. Mm. His back was Trevor Moore, so he obviously telegraphed it, but it was a tight play in that two defenders were in the area. Moore was being covered and and Byfield was being covered, and it ended up being intercepted. But had it gone through to Moore, like it would have been another one of those plays where we're like, wow, that's an 18-year-old kid who tried that. So little things like that I've noticed I like. I'm waiting I might not see it this season, mm-hmm. but I'm still waiting to see like, okay, he's, he's comfortable now. I don't think he's comfortable yet. Uh, I could tell from his body language and stuff. He's still a little uncomfortable, uh, maybe nerves. He is a child. <laughs> um, I'm waiting. And I know when it comes, it's going to be a sight to behold. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you very much on the body language thing. I think he, um, I think he's really trying to be responsible out there. I think there's parts of his game that um, he doesn't want to, for lack of a better term, he doesn't want to try junior shit out there. You know what I mean? Like, he, but I see it from time to time. I see him try to try to squeeze passes through that, you know, a guy with a hundred, 150 games NHL experience probably won't try that pass. We'll probably look for a better angle, but he, he still has, a subtle swagger to him where he looks at a play develop. And there's a few plays like this that I've seen where he's, he's handling down the half wall with a little bit of speed and he waits and he waits and he waits and he gets almost all the way down to the goal line. And then he tries to sneak a pass through to someone in the slot, which, you know, an NHL defender is going to pick that off 90% of the time, but he's trying it. And I don't mind it because this is, this is what I, this is kind of what I want him to do in a way, you know, and I, and I, I'm not there. I'm not part of the coaching staff. I don't know. I don't know what they're encouraging him or what type of direction they're giving him between shifts. But if there's ever a time for him to go out there and get a sense of like what he can and can't get away with and what he needs to, okay, that, pa- that pass got picked off or, or the play that you're talking about got picked off. Like, this is where I'm going to learn. This is where I'm going to modify from. He doesn't strike me as a type of player who's going to try the same thing four, five, six times over. And then the one time that it works, he's going to go, ha, got it. And you know what I mean? Like he's going to, he's going to find ways to, 
to be better at the things that he wants to do. And I think this last game in particular, uh, I, and again, it's been, it's been hard for me to watch with complete focus on some of these games. Um, uh, not the least of which has been because of the shift from the Fox sports West to the Bally sports app, which I am not a big fan of at the moment, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but there was some sequences on the last game where he really decided that he was going to control the puck and use his body and use his frame and try to work in the corners a bit and hold and hold and, and wait for a play to develop. And you could tell that he's still, he's still not quite there. He's maybe 10 or 15 pounds off from having the type of frame where, where he can throw the guy off of him, so to speak, or he can body the guy off or, or just position his back in a little way where he opens up some room for himself. But the fact was that he was still controlling and they couldn't get him off of the puck. And he was going back and forward and back yeah. and forward and waiting for something to develop. And you just know that a year from now, 10, 15 pounds of muscle from now, a few games under his belt from now, that's, that's going to be some magical play. He's going to, he's going to make a scoring opportunity out of nowhere on a play like that, or he's going to find a passing lane or, you know, a center is going to try to help the defenseman out because they're going to realize that, that they're outmatched. And then that's exactly the opportunity where he's going to find the open man and, and, you know, it's it's just beautiful seeing that kind of development because those are the types of things that I think we got to witness, you know, Kobe start to do. And and Allison used to do that so well, but we got to witness Jason Allison when he was already like mid-20s, figured this all out, figured out how to use his frame and his body. And and Byfield, you know, is faster than both of those guys. Right. Is quicker which I, which I consider different than fast, right? Like he's right. quicker and in tight than both of those guys, but is already showing the ability to handle the puck and have that body awareness and positioning without necessarily having all the physical tools quite yet to utilize in that way. I'm glad you brought that sequence up because it was, it was really a sight to behold. I mean, it was. I forget who the defender was, but I guess it doesn't matter. It was an NHL defenseman. Um, and the first player I thought of, and you might tell me to pump the brakes, but the first player I thought of and the way he did it and the quickness in which he was doing it was Forsberg. I don't know. Back mm. in the day, Peter Forsberg used to do these sequences all the time. Because mm-hmm. just to back up a little, the way Kopitar and Allison protect the puck, are it's much more methodical, mm-hmm. right? It's more like, I'm going to let you lean on me and you realize that, you can't get you it. You can't me. get, and then I'm just gonna like put my weight on you and drive. Exactly. Whereas that sequence was more of not just the size thing, but it was the quickness of the up and down protecting mm-hmm. the puck and trying to be elusive at the same time. And and when I was watching it, I was like, that's what Peter Forsberg used to do. Except Peter Forsberg was like small, and that's that's what made him so great. Right. But he used to try to be elusive. He used to put put the shoulder into you, but his feet would go back and forth. And so you had to deal with his strength and his quickness, and it's almost impossible to defend. So yes, pump the brakes, but it, it's nice to see that. If you could develop that, you're talking about a big man, right? Like, yeah, you're talking about a guy who could potentially, if you, like you said, put on 15, 20 more pounds, 
He's going to be trouble, he, man. He he's looks gonna thin be a to problem. me, man. He is, he is thin. He looks thin. Like, I see yeah. him on the bench, and, 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 and you don't realize it because, like, in your head, you're thinking, okay, he's 6'4", he's, he's this, that, and I, you watch his highlights against other kids on juniors. But then I saw him on the bench a couple times, even sitting next to Athena CU, and I was like, oh, my God, he's scrawny. Like you his, could his, tell from his neck. His neck. Like, his neck small. muscles aren't there yet, yeah. And I'm just like, this is, this is the guy who – I mean, he has he has room to grow on that frame without question, without question, and that's an interesting comparison to Forsberg. I wouldn't have thought it, but like now that you mention it, like I have, you know, the, the Forsberg always had this very classic move that he liked to do, where he would come around uh, one side of the net and the defender would be on him, and then he would quickly turn and use the defender as a, as a screen and put a shot on, and that's that's like exactly the kind of thing that I can see. Byfield wanting to do out there, you know, like because he's a shooter too. Like he's he tries to make yeah. passes, but but I've seen him take some shots, and it, it's quite frankly he's he's it's surprising he hasn't scored yet because he's had quite a few really solid opportunities. Um, I think against <laughs> I say one of those games against Anaheim, but we played Anaheim like five times since right. the last episode. Right. But he had one night where i mean he was he must have had four or five shots from the slot and it yeah. was very very surprising one of them didn't go in i i'm pretty sure it was his first game might have been where all those chances came so i'm going to go easy on the praise a little bit but i'm i'm just very happy to see that you know there was a lot, i was questioning draft time like should we should the kings go stutzla or should they go byfield and certainly, it's not like I have the answer now to that question, but now I'm much more comfortable mm-hmm. after seeing the small uh, sample size from him. I'm much more comfortable with the pick because you see the ceiling. You, of course, you, you see, see where the yeah. And to be fair, I we hadn't really seen him, and even right. when he was with the rain, like how much can we really watch? Right. You know, it's it's tough enough to watch full on Kings games these days. Yeah. So, but now now that. Um, he's settling in and we get to see him. I'm, I'm far more at ease with where he's going and like worst case scenario. I think he's a, he's a very good number two center. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not too shabby, No, but, but I think his ceiling is to be like a top five center in the NHL. Yeah. I, I, he's got all the, I think he's got all the potential to do it. You know, it's the IQ is by far there the the desire which is weird because i remember like everyone saying how <laughs> how much stutzla's iq was so much higher than byfield's and i think that's maybe one of the things that that was swinging me right to tim stutzla is that right. he was so high iq that he was like on another level and i remember thinking like okay you know they're saying this so much about stutzla does that mean like byfield's like this meathead kind of north south player and no, <laughs> he yeah. is not that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything to imply that at all. In fact, everything I've been seeing has been a lot of awareness, quite frankly. And in fact, you, you want to look at his first NHL point. It's it's a poke check. It's it's a back check poke check. You know what I mean? Like he he was skating hard to get back. He turned his body to kind of set up in a more defensive position. And he saw a pass coming and just used his size and and poked it as hard as he could out into the neutral zone where Athens yeah. then then picked it up. It's like a trivia question. Like who's, yeah. <laughs> who, who 
got their first NHL point, but didn't even get a plus on the play. Right. <laughs> right? It was like, a poke and a change. And he left. Yeah, he was on the bench when, yeah. when he got the point. Which is really funny because he gets his point that way. And then Kobe gets his point on like a random empty net face off. <laughs> it's just yeah. strange stuff. Strange, strange stuff. But, but both, you know, good. It's gonna, both good. Uh, what's going to be interesting is I think, and again, I have to, I have to, I, so with how many uh, games the Kings have left at this point, if he plays in all of them, I think that would burn the first year of his, of his ELC. Cause he's played five games at this point and there's well, still yeah. five more to go. So yeah, actually, no, no, it's less it's, because it's six it's now. Six, it's six. Yes. I keep making this mistake and I, I'm so sorry about that. Like, my, my Twitter game has been off, guys. I'm so sorry. Like, I've been misquoting stuff left and right. But Yeah, all the bad tweets are already good. That's me. That's me. I apologize. My head's in a million different places these days. Um, so he's he's burning the first year of his ELC, right? Like, without question, they're going to do this. I don't know. Because that would make me really sad. <laughs> if, they, if they send him down? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean... I think they have to. Right. I think they have to. I mean, what is the point? What is the point of like burning his first yeah, year's contract? Yeah, I know. Like, this? I know. Certainly, if if all things were equal, of course, like, of course he stays. But I just don't know, man. Is it worth it? Is it worth burning that year just to just to have him play four more games or whatever the hell it is? And then the other side of it is you have the opportunity to to call someone up, right? And they got to get in the lineup. Um, someone's got to get out. Not saying like everyone's setting the world on fire. Can't pull them out of the lineup. But yeah, yeah. That being said, like with those two factors, it kind of I don't know. It maybe makes more sense to to pull QB out and and bring whoever up. I mean, so, you could you know you can give Sammy Fagamo a, a shot. Like yeah, Akil Thomas. Akil Thomas can get six games in or something. I mean. The numbers work out well enough where someone else can come up. You can bring Artie Kaliev back up. You can play Kaliev another five yeah. games, and that's still – so I don't know. I, I, I It is hard, though. It is hard because you're seeing – you're so excited, right, because yeah. he's in the lineup, and he's right. – immediately you're like, oh, this guy's an NHL player now. Yeah. And to have him, like, now go back down – it's it's a kind of a tough pill to swallow. It is, but I also think that like I don't, I don't. I think they could be very frank with him, yeah. And say, look, man, come on. <laughs> He's We're also not... smart enough to I think understand. Of course, this. Like, of look. course. Like I don't think that you can be offended because it's yeah. also not like this is happening in the beginning of the season where they're playing you six games and then they're sending you down and then you have to sit there and wonder if you're ever going to make it back to the NHL that year or whatever. Like. There's five games left. Yeah. Okay. There may or may not be an, an AHL Pacific tournament, whatever they're thinking of doing or not doing. Right. Um, right, 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 right. This is like, by the time you're down there, you're playing a couple games, both seasons are over and none of this matters. You're, you're back to the summer and it's very clear that you're going to be playing NHL hockey next year. So I think, and again, this kind of gets into the Kings uh, management things. They, they, they have one call up left. I, I don't think that that's an accident. I don't think that that's an accident that they have one call up left and Quentin Byfield is about to play his sixth game. I think it would make the most logical sense to let him play the sixth game, send him down and then bring someone else up and give them 
an opportunity that they may have just because they, they brought Fagamo up, they put him on the taxi squad, if I remember correctly, and he never got into a game like that. That's got to suck, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot. Of, look, there are a lot of things that suck for a lot of players, and I'm sure yeah. we'll get into it. But yeah, um, a couple of other guys, and we could talk about Byfield all day, and we'll likely be talking about him for we'll years. We'll talk about him for the next 70 episodes, probably. Probably so. Um, Gabe Velarde. Our other, our, our other baby boy. Our other boy. Um, man, he was... He was in a bad way for a while there. And apparently the fix was one Leish Anderson. Because ever since those two crazy kids got together, it's been nothing but highlight real goals and smiley faces. And it makes me very, very happy. But let's talk about these two guys and their seemingly instant chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, it started in the first Anaheim game. I don't even know when that was because I don't even know what the first, I feel like we only play Anaheim, uh, yeah. but it, it was in Anaheim and, and the play I'm going to be talking about is Filardi to Anderson between the legs. You could just call it the pass. Can't you? Are, I think it's are we doing it? Okay, great. I think you can. My God. <laughs> I mean, first of all, to, to pull that off in the NHL, I don't care how old you are. Uh, rare. Very hard. Yeah. Secondly, to have the guy you passed it to actually be ready and almost know that you might do that is such a great thing. It makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Right on his tape, and Anderson didn't even hesitate. It was in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. Um, that's chemistry. And they only built on that because in the last game against Arizona, Leah Anderson with a beautiful piece of board work. I mean, again, a little thing, but I was so impressed by his entire sequence to gain the zone, to do the, it's called the Gretzky escape in coaching, but <laughs> to, to escape, but uh, to kind of curl towards the boards, hit the point men. It's a great sequence. It comes back to him. He drives around the net and hits Gabe with a short side pass and, and Velarde buries it. And, we got to see Happy Gabe, the face, the face that we've we've been missing because he scored against Anaheim at home and he could he looked like yeah the second game so he sad. scored yeah it was a tap in power play yeah. goal almost and, like if I missed that I was gonna retire that's what his face said like of yeah. course I'm gonna score that goal yeah but that's I mean that's what cracked the dam right like once that happened I think he felt he must have felt such a great relief. Right. Like the look on his face, I can't even call it a relieved look. It was because he didn't look relieved at that it's time. It's almost like he was embarrassed that it took him so long yeah, to score. That's, that's exactly his, right. That's, that's exactly right. Said. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was actually the uh that goal was I think the third game, and then the fourth game against Anaheim is when the pass. Oh, okay. See, I thought it was the first it's game. It's fine. They all Whatever. blend together. The first game in Anaheim. Right. Maybe. But it's interesting. The first so so the first couple games, the line was uh, Velarde, Kempe, and Moore. Yes. And then uh, once Byfield started playing, they moved Kempe and they put him up with Byfield. And they they set the lineup at that point to be Velarde, Anderson, Moore, I believe. And that's that's been a productive line 
in my opinion. Um, and that's when you really saw some of the chemistry actually develop between those guys. And it's, it's nice, man. It's nice to see two guys who clearly have first round talent, both drafted very highly, both rated very highly when they were drafted and both going through a tough time getting to play regular NHL games for different reasons. Definitely the road less traveled for both of them. Right. Right. And it's, it's just refreshing to see guys like that find something, find their game and show that they could be productive parts of this team's future. Um, And now you want to talk relief seeing Leash Anderson score his goal on that pass. I mean, yes, there was a wide open net and yes, Flaherty gave him an amazing, amazing pass, but the reaction Anderson had, you would have thought that he just skated through five guys and put that, put that goal in. He was so happy to score that goal. It took him a full like 15 seconds to stop fist pumping and realize that Velarde had actually made the highlight, highlight real play on that goal. <laughs> oh man. It's it's nice, man. I I I I've liked what I've seen from Anderson's game. And you know, he came in with quite a bit of baggage in this talk about how his personality and uh whether he had what it took to play in the game. And I feel like I've heard nothing but good things about his work ethic and and what he's been doing both on the NHL and the AHL level to earn his spot on this team. And to see him and Velarde actually find that chemistry. And to get creative out there more than anything, it's it's fun. It's nice to have some fun games to close out the year, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, Aya Follow's been seeing time with that line. That was on – I think that was the last game. That yes. They yes. finally decided to take AI off of the top line. Yes. Um, and that worked out really well, too. I mean – I like that line. I, I like that, too. I think Aya Follow's like a, a slightly more skilled Trevor Moore. And also Trevor Moore <laughs> suddenly is an important, vital part of this team. I mean, what a season he's having, right? I mean, Absolutely. totally, totally out of the blue. I don't A couple think of anyone... guys like that, actually, Athanasiu being the other right. one. I know the Kings haven't had a great season, but holy crap, if they didn't have a couple of these guys. Oh, man. <laughs> good Lord. But now you're looking at that's two guys that are going to be on the team next season. Yeah, uh, in more in Athens, CU, and now you're hoping, okay, if Velarde and Anderson are a pair, we talk about pairs a lot. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like you're putting together a lineup because Byfield's going to be your two C. Yep. And if it's Kopitar, Byfield, Velarde down the middle next year, and you got chemistry, which is what we had hoped yeah. it would be, and you got some chemistry. Well, shit. I mean, Chad would be your fourth line center, and away we go he's not chopped liver either (laughs) away we go with those four guys uh but if anderson and velarde have chemistry and you could keep more anderson dolan and grunstrom together um your top line set obviously and if you could just fill out some wingers for byfield that's a team that should push that should make and i know that's what is kind of expected right is that next year this team's supposed to make a push but it's going to be really interesting because there's a ton of kids that are just ready to play. Like, yeah, we've we've said this that a trade has to happen. Uh, now I think it's trades have to happen because, from all indications, they're going to 
do their damnedest to, to sign Andreas Athanasiu. And last, Which they should. Yeah. Which the they last, absolutely should. Last reports indicated that they were working on it. It was close and it sounded pretty positive to me. Mm-hmm. It, like, yeah. It's almost like you could see next year's roster, but at the same time, you, the question becomes of all the prospects that are ready to play, who plays? Like, is Kaliev has to fit in somewhere? Right. Right. Like, are, are you going to send him back to the. Does he, does he turn 20? I have to look and see how old he's turning. But um, if he's not 20, he's got to go back to junior <laughs> next year after playing an entire season in the AHL. Yeah, so okay. let's see. He turns he turns 20 in June. So he'll be okay. He could play, okay. He could he play, play AHL. For the rain. Okay. Yeah. So at least you got that going for you, which is nice. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still some problems here, but I yes, I wouldn't be stunned if if – just because of logistics, right? Kaliev at least starts the season in Ontario, right? Next, I year. mean, you you look you so it's interesting, right? So again, this is this is when I look at this team and I th- I try to think to myself like where are the weak spots, right? The offense is clearly where the issue is in getting um, enough goals. I I think the weak spot is still defense. Okay, fair, but like if but we're talking we, about yes, if you're talking about raw statistics, yes, yes. we need goals. Yes, we need goals. Our our goals against are middle of the pack. Our goals for are bottom. Um, sure. But then when I look at the seasons that people have been having, Kempy's been having an okay season. Good season. Good season. Could be better, but good. Ifall has had a good season. Moore has had a surprisingly good season. I don't think anyone pegged him to have the cup of season he's having. Athanasiu, no one no one thought he was going to be playing to this level which is crazy but yeah but it's true you're right it's, ab- yeah. it's absolutely true v- velardi has had his ups and downs but now coming on again he may end with double digit goals if he gets the double digit goals and you're talking about kopitar brown can't be i follow more at the nasu and velardi all being double digit goal scores and drew dowdy only off by two from that so when I look at that, I'm just like, man, so where's where's the weak spots in this team? Like, what is the problem? You know, what, where, because otherwise the offense is, it seems like it's there. It seems like it should be there. Is it, is it just a consistency thing? Is it that, I mean, how much can you really expect from the third and fourth line to, to fill in those gaps? Like, you see what I'm trying to get at? Like, where... Where are the improvements supposed to come next year? I guess is what I'm asking. Is it just that Velarde is going to be more consistent? Is it that Byfield's going to, you know, contribute 40 points somehow, and and that's Kempy's going to have another 15? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out like where the next steps are supposed to come from because you're not going to get rid of these guys. Yes, I think it's just getting consistency behind Kopitar offensively Mm -hmm. that's the simple answer but i really think that's what it comes down to because yes they're you know double digit goal scorers here and there but they're all the almost all the guys you mentioned have outside of brown have gone long periods of time without goals there's been droughts all over the place for these guys athanasi when's the last time he scored a goal i have to look that up (laughs) right so yeah it might not be like too far back but still it's like 
okay, like yes, he had he was hot for a while, but he kind of cooled off. Mm-hmm. Um, Kempe, yeah. you know, we could we've talked about that forever, right? So, so I think it's just finding consistency in your secondary scoring because night in and night out, it's still Kopitar mm-hmm. that's doing all the work. Yes, and Brown, of course. When I say Kopitar, it should be automatically recognized that Dustin <laughs> right. Brown is included in that, right? Um, and and from the back end, it's only Dowdy. So now you got to find some offense behind Drew Doughty too mm-hmm. from the blue line. So I think if you could improve on those two things, just secondary scoring behind your number one guys, I think that's going to, that's going to improve things quite a bit. Is it, you know, going to change the fortunes of the team over one summer? No, but um, I think you, I, I think you got to get, a defenseman in the offseason and 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 like a good one mm-hmm. and and not some guy just a veteran to bring in and be like be here for a season so that yeah. you could show you could show matt roy the ropes and you know <laughs> we, we don't need that we need someone who's, who could potentially be a fixture on the blue line and could score like 30 points yeah yeah that's exactly what i was thinking like a 30 point defenseman which we i think we we're all hoping a walker would have been this year um, and clearly for several reasons, he's had his struggles. Yes. And maybe he'll be on the team next year. <laughs> uh, we'll see yeah, about a, that. That's a whole other question. Yeah. But so those things, I think, yeah, will help a great deal. Uh, but at the same time, there's just so much uncertainty with, with who's going to make the roster, who's still going to be on the team, who do you move? The Kings have right. a lot of decisions to make for a team that's, loaded <laughs> like if you look at the kings from an outside uh, outsider's perspective you'd be like these guys you know look at their prospect pool look at mm-hmm. ah, everything's great but there's some tough decisions to be made and i'm very yeah. curious to see what happens especially um if they do end up getting a nice draft pick that's only that might just complicate things well, then they, and they have all, all sorts of cap space too i mean that that's you know, another thing right we've we haven't very much been a very big free agent type of team in the past. Uh, you know, we, back when we signed Kovalchuk, we talked about how that was the biggest free agent signing that we remembered Kings making in modern history. Probably, probably the, in terms of name value, name yeah. recognition, it probably is. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting. Cause I think, I think that it's a multifactorial thing. You're right. That, I think if you have a little more consistency from those middle six guys, the because basically if you're looking at Campy, I follow Athens, see you more, you're talking about four guys who are putting up somewhere around 40, 45 points. What you really need is one, maybe two of those guys to be 50 point guys or 55 point guys, or maybe Byfield ends up being a 40, 50 kind of guy. While those other guys maintain their consistency, then yeah, then you're then you're talking. Um, I think that's, that's really the key is if you have a team full of 40 point guys, it it sounds like a good thing, but that doesn't actually end up being a good team at the end of the day. You need a couple, you need a couple of those 50, 60 point guys beyond the first line to kind of help you buoy the, the offense. Absolutely. Um, but I, but to your point, I look at these guys, I look at, Okay, Kopitar, Brown, I follow. Kempe, 
Velarde, Moore, Athanasiu, um, Byfield, Jared Anderson, Dolan, Grunstrom. I mean, isn't that isn't that your top nine or nine out of your twelve forwards already, right there? Yeah, you would think so. You would and, think uh, Athanasiu and Moore are priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, I worry a little about how the how the franchise or organization, I should say, views Velarde. I'm mm. a little concerned about that. And I think Adrian Campe should be a little nervous right now, even even though we we've kind of talked about how you need players in his age group. Right. They're kind of vital players. I follow Campe. So I don't know. Um, then again, Athens CU. Right. Is much is still always surprised me that he's only 26. <laughs> and an RFA. It's, and an RFA. I mean, but, talk about a gift to fell in our lap, right? Right. I feel like he's like he's been 30 for the last four years. <laughs> um, so we'll see, man. We'll see. Um hopefully there won't be any regrettable decisions made because it is going to be tough, man. You're going to have to, no matter what happens, I think you're going to have to trade good players in this scenario. That's just the way it goes. So yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you identify the right ones to keep. Right. Tough business. And, and Lee's Anderson, I I would like to think that they're going to protect and keep him having spent the second round pick to get him. Right. Um, it, It is interesting. It is interesting. More and more. I think about, what they're going to do come expansion draft time, the more I convince myself that that they're more likely to give uh, Seattle a pick to basically for Seattle to agree to pick a particular player rather than leave it open-ended for Seattle to decide who to take. I, I, I just, I, I, you know, we've, we've looked at the scenario a couple of times. I sincerely think they're going to protect seven forwards given the list that we just discussed, which would mean that they would have to protect three defensemen. Right. Dowdy having to be one of them. So then you're down to two defensemen. I would, I would probably imagine that Matt Roy is going to be one of those two. So then you're down to the choice of having to pick between Kale Plague and, and yeah. Walker, which I don't like to have to make that choice. <laughs> I don't, I don't like the way that Clegg has been managed this season. I think he very much deserved to be an NHL player. It's been very – I feel like it's unfair and it's a little head-scratching at times mm-hmm. because in the small sample size we've seen from him, he's played well, and I think mm-hmm. he's only gone better. And obviously we're not on the inside, but it seems like he's earned the right to play a little bit more, but he just doesn't. And still blows my mind that we had to watch Curtis McDermott play <laughs> I don't know how many games. 28. Come on, man. How many does Clegg have? Uh, let me check. It's probably less than 28. It's 18. But yes, to your point, Curtis McDermott has played 10 more games than Kale Clegg this season. Right. It should at least be the opposite, if not more. Right. Imagine, if you can, uh, he was it seemingly Clegg was getting more comfortable every game. <clears throat> and he's an offensive defenseman. We just touched on we need scoring from the blue line. Um. His game is catered to offense. He's made great reads, great reads jumping in on the play. I've really been impressed with him in the offensive zone. Does his D zone need work? Hell yeah, it does. But you can't tell me his D zone is any worse than Curtis McDermott's, who brings nothing offensively. Right. 
I think, again, the perplexing thing to me has been, and this is not a knock against uh, against Toby Bjornfoot, but it's surprising to me that they feel so much more comfortable with Bjornfoot's game that they would rather put him into an NHL game than Clay. Because I, I, just, I haven't seen that level of disparity in their game one way or the other to me to, to go oh without question Bjornfoot's a, a better NHL defenseman right now than Kale Clay. I've seen Bjornfoot make some really terrible reads. I've seen him oh, yeah. I've seen him get completely outplayed in the defensive zone by men who are stronger than him and more experienced than him. So why is it that he's allowed to keep playing when he's younger than Clay? And he keeps getting inserted in the lineup and being given chances and do this and that again, taking nothing away from the fact that he's probably going to be a very good defenseman. But I don't think that you have seen enough from Kale Clay to say, now we're done with this kid, throw him in the AHL and forget about him, which is kind of what I think they've done. You know, I, I don't, I don't fully understand it. I can't pretend that I fully understand it, but I would know that if I was in his position, I would find it very, very frustrating looking at this and knowing that I'm potentially not going to be protected in the, in the expansion draft. Right. Part of me, part of you might want to be picked in the expansion draft so that you might actually have a chance to play hockey rather than get shuffled around like this, you know? I I don't know. I, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. And I don't think it's, it's proper management of your assets. Because especially if you're trying to evaluate these players and see which ones you're going to keep, which ones you're going to move, you would think that you'd want to put a guy like him into the lineup over, say, Oli Mata, who you know exactly what you've got with Oli Mata, and you're like, kind of sort of hoping that he gets selected in the in the expansion draft at this point. <laughs> He's we'll not see. going to. He's not. I mean, going he to. might do. I don't know. He's I don't know. But my I point mean, is that, like, you got I'll him. Tell you- yeah, I'll tell you, if I had a choice between Clegg and Mata, I know who I'm taking. Of course. That's my point. My point is, like, you you got a guy like Oli Mata for two reasons. You were hoping that he would be a stable veteran presence, but you also kind of knew in the back of your head that you're not going to protect this guy for the expansion draft. Meaning that in your head, if he were to get picked by Seattle, you'd be fine with it, right? Correct. So why, why do you have a player like that in a lost season like this where nothing matters anymore and hasn't probably mattered for the better part of the last two three weeks but you're still putting him out there over a guy like Clegg who might show you whether or not he can still play at this level or be something that you should hold on to going forward I that part makes zero sense to me I'm actually pretty surprised to learn that Olimata is 26 years old talk about a guy who you think has been 30 forever right yes Yes, 36 games he's gotten this year. Yeah. Tell me, tell me you've noticed. Tell me you've noticed more positive than negative things about Oli. No, Mata no, no. This more season. negative for of sure. Of course. Of course, I've noticed positives too. He's made some nice plays, and you could tell he's he's a guy who's played, you know, whatever 500 games or whatever he's played. Sure. You could, you could tell he's making reads that only a veteran can make. But at the same time, like to your point if i'm going to it doesn't matter <laughs> it it just yeah it it doesn't it doesn't 
we were talking about getting a player, a defenseman that's going to be part of the solution. I don't, this guy's not the guy. Mm-hmm. He's a guy, he's a body, just so your defense isn't a complete train wreck, which it still he's was. He's Tom Pricing. He's Tom Pricing. He's, he's Tom Pricing ish, for sure. Um, so we'll see, man. I, the Clake thing is a little frustrating. Yes. Uh, I'm with you on that. I hope they figure out a way to keep him because I, I do see his upside. I do like what I've seen from him offensively. And we need we need more points from the back end. And You're also talking about a guy that they drafted high in the second round, by the way. This isn't like a fourth round, fifth round pick. Like you scouted him, you developed him, you put him in positions to succeed and develop and defensemen take time to develop. You've put the time into this guy and now you're potentially not going to protect him. You're not going to play him. You're not going to see what you have in this lost season from this guy. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I'll tell you who, not that I haven't been impressed with him, but I just kind of have no feelings about is Brendan Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, you know, he's as advertised, I guess a little bit. I don't see, I think we mentioned this last episode. I don't see some tenacious four checker. I see just another dude. Like if yep. I if I squint, sometimes I feel like it's Blake Lazat. Hundred percent. That's exactly the name that came to my mind. Like, right? They even wear forty something numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's some curious stuff with like going out and getting Lemieux, and it's just spending picks on certain guys and then sitting them yeah, favoring weird players <laughs> instead of guys who could be part of your future. Right. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. So yeah, I'm still not overly sold on Todd McClellan. And I think this has kind of been happening this year. I think last year I was excited, mm-hmm. but I think this season I'm kind of like more questions than comfortable answers with old Todd. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of that. I mean, he seems like a smart enough guy to to know that Curtis McDermott should not be playing 28 games in an well, NHL season. To his credit, he figured it out. <laughs> Finally. Once the Kings were comfortably out of the playoffs. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> he figured. It's like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't play this guy. Who else yeah. do we have here? <laughs> it's just strange decisions. Strange, strange roster decisions that... You know, everyone everyone breaks up the line blender from time to time. Sure. Daryl did that. Every coach does it. But to, to, to not even have certain people in the lineup in a game to, to make that as an option to you sometimes <laughs> or to just, you know, hit your wagon to the Curtis McDermott train as often as he did, it really – questionable decisions like that really make you, make you think if – yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we've covered everything Kings. I can't, I mean, we we talked about Athens use contract. We hope it gets done. I don't want to speculate on numbers. His agent's a prick. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> um lots we'll, of games against Colorado and St. Yeah, it's Louis. not gonna be good. Nope. It's Those teams be bad. are hungry. St. Louis yes, is yes. pissed. Uh they've been playing good hockey, so uh Kings aren't gonna make the playoffs. You want to do mental gymnastics and tell me it's mathematically possible? Good for nope. you. No, nope. not going to happen. I'm I'm done with that. You can put a bow on that. Um, around the league, a little bit. 
Kings related. Jeff Carter, four Genos. How about that? Mm-hmm. Career high. Is it really? It's a career high. Turns out he could still play. Good for him. We kind of knew that. What is that? Seven, eight since going to Pittsburgh? It's as many as he had with the Kings. <laughs> and his shooting, fact, percentage, his shooting percentage, wouldn't you know, it has now gone back to what is his career average? What are the odds? <laughs> Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not mad at the Kings for trading him at all and i think some people were like oh look he's lighting it up stupid kings yes he was gonna stay here and do what yeah no it's It's fine let him go i'll cheer for him in the playoffs i hope he has a couple of good seasons but i think it was the right move by the kings yeah they saw an opportunity they took it good it's it's, i I look at this very much like the tyler tofoli scenario where people look at tofoli and he's potting 30 goals in a shortened season they're like stupid kings he should have should have never traded him. I'm like, yeah, but he wouldn't do that on the Kings. He just wouldn't. You know he wouldn't. Well, he wasn't. So but <laughs> he did exactly. It. And it's just, yeah. and it's the same with Carter. It's the same with Carter. I, I don't know if it's just like you fall into this trap with with the team and the team not doing well, and then you don't do well, or it's a chicken and the egg scenario, I think. But I think his quotes today were very telling. Uh to Pittsburgh media that he felt free to do what he wanted to. Oh man, that was tough to read. That was wasn't it though? It was, what? man. Cuz <laughs> cuz especially cuz Carter's not a guy who's very open with the media. You know, like he, yeah. he he gives very canned answers traditionally when he is interviewed and that which wasn't very often during his Kings tenure. Um, so for him to come out and very graciously and happily exclaim, I feel free to do what I want. And they kind of let us play felt like a kind of a dig. Didn't it, didn't it feel like a li- just ever so tiny, like a little bit of a dig, maybe like a quick, like a prison like a shank. Just to, yeah. Just, you know, when the guy's not looking just real yeah. quick into the kidney, you, know, you, you sharpened up the edge of a spoon or something. Yeah, it's been all night. I get it. Um, no, it was, it was, and I think hockey players do this, like these little, like, uh, well, Hey, so like, don't take it personally. I wasn't talking about you or the most PC way to insult somebody. Um, but it's a veteran team. Like I, I read the quote and at first I was like, is that, you know, I, I of course did a, like a audit of the Kings immediately. I was like, is McClellan mm-hmm. the right guy? Is he right, right, right? <laughs> All this stuff, but it's a it's a veteran team, man. You look at the Penguins, you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna tell Sidney Crosby to not, you know, once he ga- gains the blue line, to not use every gift he has to like do what he does best. I just, I'm just not gonna do it. And I think it's a veteran team that's won cups with that coach, so there's a trust factor and there's. You know, I could I could convince myself that everything's okay in Kingsland, but I yeah. I do I would like to think that once the Kings get there, that there would be more freedom. I think once they have the structure down, the basic structure of how Todd McClellan wants to play, that he would look at his top players, a Byfield, a Kopitar, and be like, once you gain the blue line, like be creative, mm-hmm. let your skill take over and make plays. So. I'll, I'll try not to 
let it fester in me this quote by just sure sure uh yeah austin matthews 40 goals in 49 games amazing he is unbelievable he might be i know i love ovi i really do but he might be right now the best goal scorer in hockey not just because he's he's going to win the rocket which he is it's not even because of that i just think his release and the way he shoots the puck is ovechkin-esque in his prime and he is a scary man here's a fun stat matthews 40 goals first player in over 20 years to reach the 40 goal mark in 49 or fewer games wow 20 years wow as he's you know you say he's very ovi like but i i find him slightly different than ovi he is he listen totally different player that's not what i'm saying okay okay i'm saying his shot and just how automatic it's becoming Mm -hmm. is reminiscent of how ovechkin used to just every time he took a shot you're like probably going in yeah he's reached that level with his wrist shot this this guy's wrist shot is an absolute bullet every time yeah and the and he scored 40 this year and he was he had a injured wrist for like 10 games Mm-hmm. And he still got 40 goals. Um, very impressive. Since very 95 96, here are the guys that have scored 40 goals in 49 or less games. Okay. Lemieux, Yager, Bure, McGilney. I've heard of them. I've yeah. heard of those guys. Yeah. Cool. Of course, Lemieux did it in 38, but what ifs? Yeah. <laughs> He's shooting 19%. He's nasty, dude. I'm telling you. He is. That's madness. That's madness. He's also been shooting more. I should say that. Like, if you um, if you look at his average, season by season, probably around, uh, I would say, two hundred and fifty shots, give or take, maybe a little over. His average. What do you mean his total? Total, total. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, but you know what? He he hasn't played a, a full year since his very first season. He's been hurt a lot. Yeah. But he's he's shooting. He shot 210 times already, 19% shooting. Guy's a machine, man. Generational talent, which is amazing because it's him and McDavid basically for the next decade plus, right? Like they're just going to (laughs) dance, just like Crosby and Ovechkin did before them. Funny you should bring up young Connor Mm. because he is second in goals. (laughs) Not even goals. Let's talk. Let's talk points with old Connor. He entered tonight's game. We're recording this on Thursday night. Um, with ninety three points. Uh, he had the Oilers got I think smacked around. They scored three goals. He figured in all three. He has ninety six points. He has what four or five games left to get a hundred. It is. Come on, man. It's over. Yeah. He's getting 100 points. Barring, like, a comet hitting Edmonton. <laughs> right. Uh, he will – we'll see when he does it. He has 17 games this season with three-plus points. Second most in a single season since 2005. Again, Like, we are guys, watching man. some special stuff. Yeah. Going down in the NHL. Enjoy it. Enjoy these guys, man. I'm telling you. Instead, we have a 24-hour news cycle about Tom Wilson. Come on. 
there's some great stuff happening in hockey, and we have to focus on on bullshit like that. Yeah. And we can get into that a little bit to kind of close off the NHL thing. I I I, I don't really... I don't I don't hate Tom Wilson. I actually think he's a good hockey player. He because he is. I think he is the prototype of what an enforcer is now. You can't mm-hmm. just be some meathead who can barely play, be in an NHL roster day in and day out and not be able to contribute in meaningful ways. I think he's and I know you were you tweeted that you, you don't like the whole you wish he was on your team thing. Yeah. And I agree I with don't. you. Well, I agree with you because of the other stupid shit he does. Yes. But players like Tom Wilson, everyone wants. The problem is he brings a lot of baggage with him. And it comes down to, do you want to deal with that baggage? Because I just want to put this out there. I didn't think it was too bad what he did. Was it bad? Yeah. But here's the problem. People are saying, oh, it wasn't too bad. It was just because it was Tom Wilson. So why? Why are people getting upset because it was Tom Wilson? Because he's done stupid shit in the past. Mm-hmm. That's why people are like, oh, b- because it's Tom. Okay, where did that get into people's heads exactly? You think he was a model player and he just got some reputation? No, because he's done some dumb shit throughout his career. And now when he does this, yeah, it's going to be magnified even more. The, uh, the Wishnevish thing, it's tough because it, it's such a bad look when you look at it. It's a punch for a guy who's down face first. It, it, it's a vicious play, and he should have been suspended for it. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Funny and almost sad. Bushnevis got a one-game suspension today. I know. For going high on Mantho. Deserved. But there's no way you could tell me that Wilson shouldn't have got a suspension for that. Now, the Panarin play is a little more complicated because Panarin, without his helmet, jumps on Wilson's back to instigate some kind of whatever physical activity, right? And he gets slammed down to the ice. Was it kind of a bitch move the way Wilson did it? Absolutely. But I I have a more understanding for that play than I do for the Bushnevich play. That's just stupid. That's just a vulnerable guy and you're taking, you know, you're putting your 250 pounds down on his neck. Like you're an idiot, Tom Wilson, yeah. for doing that. You should have been suspended for it. I think that is my problem with this whole thing. If he could stick to playing the rough and tumble hockey and still be this goal scorer, you know, power forward kind of guy, like prime era Milan Lucic kind of game where he's stirring some things up, but he backs up, you know, he talks to talk and he walks the walk kind of thing. That's one thing. But when you cross that line in my mind of, of, of a guy like Pavel Bushnevich, who's, you know what I mean? He's, he's not that guy. He's nowhere near that type of player. Right. And you're, and you decide that you're going to send a message or basically, I don't, I don't even know what the point of that is. I don't understand the point of that entire sequence. Like you took the guy down, any normal human being in that scenario would say, Hey, I have my stick across the back of a neck of another human being who's down on the ground on the ice and would either A, get up, B, 
not move necessarily because, all right, I don't, I don't really know what's happening here. There's a lot of bodies flying around. A sociopath, on the other hand, punches that person. Oh, man. And that's what, that's what he did. And did it in a very sneaky, sociopathic way, trying not to be seen. And then everything develops from that one sequence, right? Yes. Everyone, including Artemi Panarin, who weighs 160 pounds soaking wet, decides that like he has to stand up you know every random player on the ice decides that they need to do something because it is such an egregious dishonorable inhumane thing to do that now it creates this whole scenario where more people are exposed to potential harm where artemi panarin is potentially like knocked out of a game and wilson is just feeding off of this. You know what I mean? Like he, there's, there's zero remorse at all. There's zero thought in the back of his mind of like, you know, damn it. Yeah. I didn't want to hurt anyone that, that thought, like that thought never once crossed his mind. You can't convince me that he ever at any point had any self-reflection or thought back and thought to himself, like, oh man, that was kind of a, that was kind of a dick move on my part. I probably shouldn't have done that there's there's yeah. there, no i don't believe that man there's zero there's no freaking way there's no way because it's not the first time it's not the fifth time it's not the tenth time this is his mo this is what he exists to do is to incite events like this by making plays exactly like that and that is my problem with him that is you when I don't care if you're a good player. I don't care if you have the capability to be a solid power forward. If you can't be a normal, rational human being in those scenarios and your actions then lead to further repercussions. And, and, and again, it wasn't just in that game. The very next game, because he didn't get suspended, and that's where the NHL drops the ball. That's where the NHL throws further fuel on this fire by not suspending him that's when you end up with that whole powder keg situation of the next game where now everyone else has to fight again because of stupid Tom Wilson, who coincidentally gets a upper body injury what, 10 minutes into the game or something after he gets a 10-minute game misconduct just so they can play a damn hockey game, like you said. I mean, it, it, it's such a bad look. It's such a bad look not just for the game, but for how the league handles it. And then it spirals into the whole other circus scenario of whatever the hell happened with the Rangers front office and the firing of John Davison and Jeff Gordon. I mean, that's just bananas. And then the fine that came to the Rangers because of that tweet. I mean, you, you could write a, you could write an entire book on just, just the last, you know, three days of Rangers history. And it's all again, comes back to Tom Wilson being a dick. And that's my problem. You don't, you don't, whatever guys like that bring to the game is so far outweighed by the negatives that come with that guy. Not just in terms of potential bodily harm, but like you mentioned, the distraction that it creates from all of the good that exists in the game. That game that they played was supposed to be about honoring um tj oshi's dad 
who had early onset Alzheimer's was a very big story when the Caps won the cup and his tearful, you know, speech about his dad at the immediate post-game interview, like the amount of emotion, the amount of, of meaning that was in that game for the Caps going into it, completely lost again because Tom Wilson is a dick. And the NHL did nothing about it. That is my problem. And it takes away from, from a very meaningful tribute to a man who, who died young. It takes away from the rest of the news cycle, not the least of which are Kopi hitting 1,000 points, Matthews getting his 40th goal, Connor McDavid being four points away from 100. It, it's, it creates a vacuum because the NHL has no ability or shows no desire whatsoever to police itself and shift the focus to the, to the, to the things that should matter about their own game and their own product. I'm done. That was like, that was Stephen A. Smith level. I, I, I channeled my inner Stephen A. Smith there. If I, I don't know. That's going to be hard to follow that. But I will say that I don't hate fighting. I don't even want fighting eliminated from hockey. That's not what I'm saying, though. I know. I that's... know. I'm just – this is different. I, but watching the opening faceoff in that game result in three fights did not make me feel good. Whereas maybe 18-year-old me would have loved it. Right. This version of me does not love it. And if I were watching this game with my son, who's only one year old right now, but if he was, say, eight, and we're watching that game and that happens, I would be disgusted. I don't want him to watch that. And I know that maybe that sounds, I don't know, call it what you want. I know there's some someone listening to this and being like, oh, that's hockey, baby. That's not hockey, baby. Okay, that's it used to be hockey. It's not hockey anymore. If I want a kid, if I want my kid to play in organized sports and my organized sport of choice is hockey and he and he has to watch that and think that this is what hockey is, that upsets me. I don't want to see that. And you're talking about growing the game of hockey, that hurts the growth of the game of hockey. You might love it, right? I'm sure there's an age, the 18 to 49 male group that watches this game, I'm sure 80% of them loved it, right? The Jack Edwards types and shit. I'm sure they ate it up. But this hurts the game of hockey. Do I, and that's why I brought up, I don't even want fighting to go away because if it's a straight up fight based on raw emotion of competition, keep that in the game of hockey. But this, it was a circus, mm-hmm. and and the and it was a circus because the league, like you said, didn't nip it at the bud. They let it carry over into another game, and who knows how long it's going to carry over between these two teams, right? Someone yeah. at some point is, is going to try to beat the shit out of Tom Wilson from the Rangers. Right, it, it's not over. You know, that's my only thing. Like, I don't want fighting is is a it can be a great part of hockey, but too many times it's just been being used for the wrong reasons. It fighting 
in hockey, the spirit of it is not this. But it's also it didn't involve Wilson. Wilson wasn't even one of those three guys fighting. It was it was it was six guys who had nothing to do with that incident, who now suddenly felt that they had to get their pound of flesh or whatever. What I mean, it's it's just it doesn't solve any of the issue that led to the to the violence in the first place. I'm not against fighting either. If Tom Wilson wants to come out and stand up against whoever the Rangers enforcer is and and answer for his actions, then okay, that's fine by me. But like when I watch an opening face-off and it's six guys who have nothing at all to do with that incident having to fight, and then Tom Wilson gets to get a 10-game, I mean, gets to have a 10-minute you know, penalty and then sit out the rest of the game while all these other people... <laughs> so now, so you mentioned that, now it's opened up this whole other argument is why every NHL team needs an enforcer. Oh, God, now we're back to this thing again. Yes, it's a big conversation right now. John Scott had a podcast. He has a podcast called Dropping the Gloves or whatever. And, like, his big thing was this is why you need enforcers in the NHL. Because the Rangers didn't have anyone who could answer the bill against Tom Wilson. Um, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't think they would have solved the problem. Like, what were they going to do? Someone was going to line him up and play? And that's the thing, man. You, if you look back at, like, Goonery in the NHL, like someone brought up a great example of when Matt Cook like broke Mark right. Savard, right. right? He goes high on him. He ends his career. Lucic was 20 feet away. Did it stop Matt Cook right. from using his body as a weapon and completely ruining right. this guy's life? No. Milan Lucic was 20 feet away. I'm sure he was pissed, but guess what? The damage has been done. Right. And Matt Cook, I'm pretty sure had a history of doing this before, if I remember correctly. So, and you're telling me that all the times he did it, there was no one on the other team that wanted to just grab him and beat the crap out of him? Of course there was. But it didn't stop it. It didn't. You know what it is, man? It comes down to respect. You respect your opponent. It's not complicated. You want to fight? Let him know, hey, this is why like, you have to answer for this. Let's fight. That's it. They'll right. do it. Most of the time, they'll do it. So, Yeah, that's my problem. What What... What Wilson did had nothing to do with any of that. It was it was it was a playment entirely to hurt another player. You can't convince me that there was any other motivation there. It's to punk him and it's to hurt him. That is the only intention he has in that moment. It's not to change the vibe of the game. It's not to stand up. It's not to. It's. You don't need that. That does nothing to help the game. That hurts the game in every single aspect of it. I mean, look at the repercussions of that one play. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm done with it. I don't want to Good, talk about it Good, because we've anymore. gone way long on yes. this topic. We've gone way long on this episode. It's a good And one, I blame it. Tom Wilson for that as well. Just another dick move by Tom Wilson. Um, it's episode 70. And I think... This is a layup, if there ever was one. Yep. I think he might be the only one, man. I hope so, because Hold even on. if he isn't, he is. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I hear you. All right, let me see here. Oh, nope, that's it. It's Tanner Pearson. No one else. All right, Tanner Pearson episode. <laughs> Good for Tanner. Good for you, Tanner. Good for us. We made it to 70. It only took four years. <laughs> whatever, we're, whatever we're at right now. 
you don't want to hear us talk every week anyway. Then we, I, I like our pace. I mean, we've, I think we've done more. We have more season. to cover. Yeah. It gives us, I, I think it gives us better conversations because then otherwise so we're just, we're just saying the same thing over and over again. And no one wants to hear that. There's, you know, there's no. seven podcasts out there. And we're all saying the same thing about how terrible the Kings are this season. Thank you for joining us guys. 71 is next. It'll be <laughs> no more Tom Wilson next episode nope. deal. I promise. All right. A promise is a promise. And uh and we may um we may try to do some more uh crossovers with other podcasts perhaps coming up. And the summer will bring some interesting, hopefully some projects from us as well. As uh, you know, there's not as much hockey in the summer, but there is definitely historical hockey to discuss. Ooh, so we nice. might have some things, some might have teaser. Nice That's teaser. It. Nice there you go. There you go. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an LA Kings podcast.